the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Good afternoon. It's a couple minutes after 4. Listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com and on the app. Appreciate you tuning in. Had kind of a sunny thing happening today with some clouds. It's supposed to get a little cloudier the rest of the afternoon into tonight. 53 the high today, 38 the low this evening. Tomorrow, a lot of sunshine, high of 64. Phil's had a nice win last night. I guess it was yesterday afternoon. We were talking about during the show how they had a lead, then they blew the lead. They won a winning 6-5. Bryce Harper had a home run. And uh, Andrew Knapp, game-winning single in the ninth inning. One thing that's kind of cool about that story is he had five at-bats yesterday, the Phillies catcher, and uh, he's only hitting 176 on the season. He's not having a a great year at the plate, although that's not the catcher's main function. Is, you know, handle the game is really what a catcher's the biggest thing is to be able to do, and they can hit, that's a bonus. Uh, but he got a hit in his last at-bat. And there's a thing in sports tell you talk about it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Sometimes you, know, you have to be able to separate your previous failures from the next thing you're doing. And he was 0 for 4 heading into the ninth inning and didn't matter. Got a hit, won the game at the right time. So you'll take that, you know, timely hits. Uh, You know, you take wins, finding ways to win the game. Even if your individual statistics aren't as good as you'd like them to be, I'll take, I can tell you, even just on the softball and baseball I've, I've coached, I'd rather have a player who knows how to get hit at the right time than get a bunch of hits. But, kind of with nobody on base or nothing really happens because of it. So good for them. They're at Colorado tomorrow night at 840 off this evening. The uh, Flyers are at the Rangers tonight at 7, and the Sixers lost a close one, a tough game last night, 116-113 to Phoenix. Joel Embiid had 38 points to lead the team. They were without Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. They played Milwaukee this evening, had a chance to um, uh, be involved with some Zoom stuff with the Sixers and uh, mentioned Joel Embiid's name. Is there any kind of moral victory to come from a, a close loss to Phoenix, which is one of the top teams in the league? I'm happy we we got more than enough, you know, especially, uh, you know, when I'm on the basketball court. You know, we should win every game. There's no positive to take away from tonight. We just got to be better. We made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes, you know, with the, you know, the double teams and turning the ball over. So there's no more victories. Uh, you just got to, you know, learn, move on, and, you know, win the next one. That's it. Moving on. Short memory, uh, head coach Doc Rivers also commenting on a very tough schedule because you played Phoenix last night, and tonight's Milwaukee, one of the best teams in the East. That's funny. One of their coaches on the on Phoenix walked up to me before the game. He said, you guys play us in Milwaukee, and they haven't played since us? And he's like, that, that's insane. And I said, well, we just got to, you know, rubber the green on this one. Uh, but we're going to go in. We're going to try to get out of here quickly. Uh, we're going to rest all day. Hopefully we'll be ready for tomorrow. 
and then, you know, after that we get a day off. Uh, then we play an afternoon game, I think it is. So uh, clearly it's a disadvantage. But what are we going to do? We're going to show up and we're going to try to win them both. That's our goal. That's uh, the Sixers head coach, Doc Rivers, after last night's close loss to Phoenix. Victoria, how you doing today? Doing well. Uh, you know, interesting sports uh, environment right now. Yes. In Philadelphia, but uh, doing good. Haven't been uh, catching all the games, I have to be honest. but It's okay. I get my uh, sports update from working here. <laughs> well, that's where, <laughs> you know, on, it's funny you say that because because we do the forecast every day and I also do the morning time here. I have to know what the forecast is. I throw it in every now and again. Right. I'll go home and I'll see my kids getting dressed for the day. They're going out. I'm like, hey, honey, like this morning, Theodore, our 10-year-old, going to school. I'm like, honey, you do realize it's going to be like 50 degrees today? She's wearing a, a, a dress. It's like a uniform. But you might want some leggings. It's going to be a lot colder. It's not going to be like it was yesterday. But I realized, well, how's she going to know unless they tell her? That happened to me today. I found out by walking outside because, you know, we've, we've been spoiled a little bit. We've had some sunshine yes. uh, the date a couple of days before this. And then I walk outside today. I'm like, oh, it feel, feels really chilly out, like March again. Yes. You know? It's been a two-day a two cold spell. Yeah. But supposed to get in the 60s tomorrow, maybe get to, I think, close to 70 or so over the weekend. So. And shake out of this little cold snap. I'm thinking Hooray. if I was a flower, I would be very confused right now. Yeah. That's yeah. always how it is, though, in this area. I feel like March is really the kind of up and down month, and then April is hit or miss. April can be very nice or yeah. a little bit like March, you know? It's true. Well, we're getting on the back end of the month, and then the uh, showers bring the May flowers, as we have heard growing up. And uh, this hour, in a rhyme, it's like Dr. Seuss, we have a couple special guests. I actually just had one confirm. Uh, just texted in Dan Barkoyak, who is with Pennsylvania Family Institute, has joined us. I love having him on uh, because he and the folks who work there have a lot of good info on current events. And there's a, a Fair Play Pennsylvania bill that was just introduced earlier this month, allowing boys to compete against girls in that whole topic. Uh, there's a new bill ensuring or trying to help ensure that there's an equal playing field for girls competing against girls. And uh, we have... Uh, Lexi Stefani, who's going to join us. She is the communications and policy officer with Pennsylvania Family Institute. So she's going to join us uh, near the back end of the hour to kind of let you know what's happening in Pennsylvania with regard to that bill that was introduced just a couple of weeks ago. Prior to that, though, coming up on the other side, uh, Victoria, what's the what's the most adventurous thing you think you've ever done? It could be anything. It doesn't have to be just an activity. That's pretty hard, but I would say the most adventurous thing I've ever done was actually shortly after I was done my seasonal Eagles job. I might have mentioned that to you. Um, I took a trip with a friend to California. Nice. And I had never really driven across the state before. We rented a car and drove from San Diego over the period of a couple day, or a week to San Francisco. And I drove on five-lane highways <laughs> in California everyone drives very fast. Yes. So that was actually what I what I can think of off the top of my head. That was actually kind of an adventure for me, driving in a new state I had never been in on very crazy roads. And you survived? That wind around the Pacific Coast Highway, too. I could imagine that'd be a little On the edge of a cliff. Yeah, and then there's people flying by you. <laughs> I, I believe it, especially yeah. when you're not familiar with the, with the terrain. Well, good for you, and you made it out in one piece. Uh, Barely, no. <laughs> <laughs> well... Our uh, guest coming up here in just a few minutes, his name is Jim Davidson, and he actually is a mountain climber who has cl- climbed Mount Everest, which like... That's on a different level than driving in California. Yes, but now, now, so we're going to talk to him. He has a new book out. It's called The Next Everest, Surviving the Mountain's Deadliest Day, 
and finding the resilience to climb again. So he actually wrote a book. It was a New York Times bestseller in around 2011 called The Ledge. And in that, he fell into this crevice like 80 feet down. And um, so we may ask him about that. I will ask him about that. But then he goes on. I want to talk to him about this this next Everest because he was on Mount physically on Mount Everest when the earthquakes happened about six years ago, this month in Nepal. And he talks about in the book being on a glacier that's like a thousand feet thick, and the whole thing is bouncing and shaking. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Victoria. You mentioned that's I mean, terrifying. It, well, yes. So we'll talk about that. We'll ask him about that. But he also wrote the book to encourage people with regard to the Everest they may have in their lives. So it doesn't have to necessarily be a physical thing. Everyone has their own Mount Everest. I will tell you, Victoria, that, and you mentioned you, you worked at the Eagles for a little while. When I covered the Eagles there for 20 years, haven't been down there really much the last year or two for obvious reasons, but there was a time I was in the locker room at the Novacare Complex, and it was, I don't know, 1 in the afternoon, 12 o'clock, and all of a sudden, the building kind of tilted like about 30 or 40 of us media in the locker room with the players. Wow. And we're waiting for players to come out and all that. And the floor kind of up and down. And like, did I look at each other? Did you just feel that? And it turns out there was a bit of a, a mild earthquake. Well, Jim Davidson, who's going to join us here in just a couple of seconds, the earthquake he uh, experienced was a, a 7.8 on the Richter scale, or however it's, however it's measured. And he was on Mount Everest when it happened. Uh, 9,000 people, unfortunately, died in that earthquake. And on the mountain, there were a dozen or two. He survived to tell about it. So he's going to talk about that a little bit, as well as the rest of what his book's about. The next Everest. He'll join us here for a little while. And much more coming up this hour. It's Tim DeMar Show and WFIL. Thank you for listening in today. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show, heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. It's 4.15, The Tim DeMoss Show. Don't forget, Mother's Day is Sunday, May 9th. WFIL's Rewards Club is celebrating by giving you an opportunity to win $1,000. You enter for that in the contest surveys page at WFIL.com. As mentioned before the break, our first guest during our program today, Jim Davidson's his name. He's author of the New York Times bestseller, The Ledge, and now author of The Next Everest, Surviving the Mountain's Deadliest Day and Finding the Resilience to Climb Again. Jim, how are you doing? Thanks for checking in. I'm doing great, Tim. Great to be with you. So, author of the new best New York Times bestseller, The Ledge, and now this new one, The Next Everest. I'm just thinking before we talk about the new one, would you mind taking a moment to, to share about the ledge a little bit? I think it provides a nice backdrop to and some context for the new book. Great. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about the ledge. Sure. The ledge was my first book, co-authored with my writing partner Kevin, and it shares a story where my partner and I went climbing on Mount Rainier in the state of Washington. We summited up a difficult route, and sadly, on the way down, a piece of the glacier collapsed beneath my feet and dropped me inside a giant glacial crack called a crevasse. Since I was tied to my partner, the rope dragged my partner in. And together, the two of us sailed all the way to the bottom of the steep crevasse. I survived the incident just barely, and very sadly, my friend Mike passed away inside that glacier. Hmm. What was your, in, in telling that story, the, the ledge, did you have some main hopes to, as far as the purpose of writing the book and, and what, what was, you know, 
the the backstory for you actually taking the time to do it and go through it and how hard it was to probably do that emotionally. Yes, I mean, I, yes, it, it was difficult. I wanted to share the story of who my friend was and how he had dug in with his ice axe and saved my life and allowed me to survive that 80-foot fall into the crevasse. But I also wanted to share some of the challenges I had of uh, trying to deal with my friend's loss and having to climb alone up that vertical ice wall and even overhanging ice wall. Really what I want to do is share that when things seem difficult, things, things seem impossible, there are ways to get through. There are ways to try and be resilient enough to solve the terrible problems at the moment and come out the other side. And over the long term, you can even look back at the bad things that happened and distill some lessons and some meaning that can help you with future challenges and future opportunities. That's why I wrote The Ledge, and that's why I wrote this most recent book as well. Jim Davidson's our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Uh, you know, I guess I'm thinking this is probably as some of the DNA of being a climber that after the experience with the ledge, you might have thought time to take up baseball card collecting or chess. But just share about what led you to get back out there. And as we go into talking about the next Everest, uh, what were what were the years like between, I guess it was the early 2010s until 2015. So the three or four, five year window. Had you thought about just never getting back out there and, and playing it safer? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was terrible to lose my friend. It was, I barely survived myself from the accident that happened on Mount Rainier, as I shared in the ledge. But I thought to myself, you know, what is it that gives me energy? What is it that gives me passion and feeds my soul? And for me, it's mountains. For other people, it might be marathons or meditation or music. Whatever it is that energizes your soul, it grows your passion, that's what you should go towards. And by picking bigger challenges, you force yourself to grow and rise up and meet that challenge. And so I eventually took some time off, and eventually I started going back to the mountains more and more, and I realized I still wanted to try Mount Everest because by picking a challenge that's big enough to scare you, that's going to force you to grow into a better version of you. And so that's why I returned to the mountains, and that's why in 2015 I went to Mount Everest. Jim Davidson's our guest. The book is called The Next Everest, Surviving the Mountain's Deadliest Day and Finding the Resilience to Climb Again. I want to talk about that day that's named in the title there in a moment, but just a bit of a back story and backdrop to it. You kind of were touching on it there. You know, our kids, I'll mention them during my show a lot just because we have five of them and life happens in in and with them. You know, they play baseball, softball, soccer most of their lives. Um, You know, there's a ball field nearby. You watch a, a Phillies game on TV. So it's easier to kind of grow up in that mindset. But I'm thinking if your person's a mountain climber, uh, you know, it's not like you're walking around town. There's a small mountain, a big mountain. Then you, where does the the interest come from, whether for yourself or as you've gotten to know people in the, in the community, to get their interest going? Because you really have to be proactive to take those steps to engage in that in that line of uh, hobby slash work and, and craft. Uh, yes, I've got two children myself. They're grown now, and we did a lot of the, the same soccer and, and ice hockey and, and all those kind of things and band and all that stuff. Well, my kids did that, but because we live in Colorado at the foot of the Rockies, they're also outdoorsy. They, they had a climbing wall in their elementary school, and I used to volunteer to teach hundreds and hundreds of kids how to climb up that rock climbing wall. And teaching those kids was one of the scariest things I ever did in my life in, in my climbing career to be responsible for all of them. Uh, but that's the thing. It's, whatever it is, whether it's a sport or music or, or climbing, you know, you take on those things and you learn to be a little physical tougher, a little stronger, but also mentally tougher because there's going to be setbacks in life, and the kids have to be ready to face those challenges, whether it's fun or not. Yeah, it's interesting, too. In your book, Jim, you write about uh, kind of, I think you say when you were 10, you saw a picture of Mount Everest in the encyclopedia. Remember those? And yeah. uh, and that that stuck with you at that that point that you know, planted a seed that eventually you were able to, to go for it. Um, 
uh, just share a bit about that because uh, even you talk about in college, I think you were saying, I, I started looking for things that could help me train and stretch myself with with Mount Everest far in the distance, even things that weren't about mountain climbing per se, just to get stronger physically and kind of collectively grow toward that big, that really big goal way down the line, as far as dreaming big and thinking way out. Absolutely. I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts in the flatlands. I mean, I climbed on 40-foot-tall cliffs when I started out being a rock climber at age 19. The thought that I might go to Everest almost was preposterous. I was not an athlete very much at all in my youth. I couldn't run a mile during the high school gym test. Uh, to think that I would become an athlete someday and climb Everest, was, it was almost a, a, an idea too big to imagine. But I just kept it as a beacon in the distance, and I thought, well, you know, if I just keep learning more about the mountains, if I become a better partner by, by learning how to do first aid, by learning about avalanches, by bringing my environmental geology knowledge to the backcountry and navigation skills, maybe I can eventually join a team that can climb a bigger mountain, and then a decade later, a bigger mountain. And by doing that after 33 years, I grew myself into somebody that has the potential to try and climb Mount Everest. And that's when I went to Mount Everest in 2015. But it's that beacon, that's what drew me forward so that I would learn other things and become a better version of myself. Jim Davidson's our guest on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. The book is called The Next Everest, Surviving the Mountain's Deadliest Day and Finding the Resilience to Climb Again. Uh, in my mind, I thought, you know, and maybe if we have time uh, before we wrap up, uh, just a little bit of mountain climbing basics, things that you were learning. But there was something you wrote in the book that even getting to the foot of Mount Everest would be an accomplishment. Maybe it's just a quick introduction to mountain climbing because I and maybe it's Mount Everest specifically, but. I think people are like, so, well, you just drive up, you park somewhere, and then you start walking. or like, So paint a little bit of a picture how, how much work really went into being able to even get to, as you say, the foot of Mount Everest, let alone start climbing it. Yeah, it's not a technical climb just to get to the foot of the mountain. You can go backpacking or, as they call it over there, trekking. But in order to be a good trekker, to take care of yourself and help your teammates, you need to be fit. You need to have climbed other mountains to take care of yourself when it rains or snows to know when to push on and when to turn back. In short, you need to understand the mountains well, and you need to understand yourself well. What are your strengths and weaknesses? What kind of people do you want on your team? You need to do all that just to get to the foot of Mount Everest. And that was beyond my conception growing up in Massachusetts. The, my local ski area was a 400-foot hill, and it looked big to me. So how am I ever going to get to Everest? But I worked on those skills. I tried to develop myself into a good teammate so that other teams would want me to be with them on those trails. And so just even getting to the foot of it was going to make me learn new things and hopefully become better at many things. Six years ago this month, of course, April 25th, 2015, a day you'll never forget. Share whatever you're comfortable sharing about that day. Yeah, after 33 years of being a climber, I was finally climbing Mount Everest on April 25th, 2015. We left base camp at 17,000 feet and went up to Camp 1, the first of many camps, at about 20,000 feet. And at 11.56 in the morning, the earthquake slammed into Everest and all of Nepal. And it was 7.8 magnitude, the biggest earthquake in the, that Nepal had had in 81 years. And it rattled Mount Everest. It caused avalanches to race towards us. And sadly, it killed 18 people in base camp, making it the deadliest day ever on Mount Everest. How long did it take you to really process all of that? And what, what was it like for you in, the, I guess, the days and weeks that followed, especially after your experience and that you wrote about in The Ledge? Yeah, you know, in a tragic situation during the crisis, it comes in little chunks, and some people kind of you can pull back and not face the reality. Um, I've been in enough tough situations and volunteered on rescues 
that I know that the key to getting through those tough situations, whether it's an earthquake or a pandemic, is to face the reality of it and ask yourself, what can I do to improve my chances and the chances of my teammates and strangers nearby to just make it through this crisis for the moment? And once the crisis gets over, then how do we take care of each other? And that's what happened on Everest was, you know, for the first five minutes of the earthquake and avalanches, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I tried to do small things to improve the safety of myself and those near me. But once things calmed down and I realized that I and my teammates were okay, nobody hurt, nobody killed, then we started trying to help out those around us. Two days later, we get off the mountain and try to help out at the base of the mountain. And over the next two weeks, trying to help out the people of Nepal. And I think that's the key in an earthquake or a pandemic is to take care of yourself and just help others where you can. That's how we get through these tough times. Yeah. Jim, it's been great talking with you. The book is called The Next Everest, Surviving the Mountain's Deadliest Day and Finding the Resilience to Climb Again. Folks will find it, I guess, you know, equal parts, I guess, you, maybe your hopes for the book to tell the story, obviously, but then also as you've been kind of interspersing in our conversation, how to encourage people in their everyday lives, whether they're actually physically climbing a mountain or they have a, another kind of mountain in their lives. That's exactly right. That's why I wrote The Next Everest, was to share what happened on the mountain, but more importantly, to pull out those lessons that can help people get ready for their next opportunity, their next challenge, their next Everest. You wound up, just to cap things off, after the, that earthquake, you were two-thirds of the way up the mountain, perhaps, wound up coming down, did not get to finish the climb then, but still eventually did return. Is that correct? That's correct. It was not easy to go back because I was scared and I had those bad memories. But I knew that I wanted to keep helping the people in Nepal, Nepal get back to work as, in the tourist industry, which is so important to them. And I still wanted to try and climb Everest. So I made the tough decision to go back, trained up, and went back again in 2017. And we managed to reach the summit. And that's part of the reason you wrote the book, too. Really, it's in addition to telling the story, right? It's to help the people of Nepal and, and to tell the story of Mount Everest itself a bit. Absolutely. You know, it was a long journey. It was great to be able to finally get to the top of the mountain. But what I realized is, even from the bad things that happen, earthquakes and accidents, you can distill some, some meaning and some strength from that and use that and take you with you to face the next challenge. And certainly when bad things happen, we can have post-traumatic stress, but over time you can also have post-traumatic growth, literally growth from that trauma, which says how can we be a better person, how can we be a better community, and that's how to make ourselves ready for the next, next difficult thing that comes along. Jim, just for fun as we wrap up, any, any quick thought to someone who's maybe has given thought to mountain climbing, just what's important on the front end as far as preparation or safety? I'll tell you this. Our, our, my boss often says, Tim, the first thing we have to make sure we are is legal. If we ever you know, do something illegal, we can lose our license. We all go home. So forget everything else. Sure. Right? So for you, it's some basic couple of really main things people would have to know uh, just in general if they were even interested in or just or just to know what your life was like. Sure. If you want to try and take on some challenges in the mountains, whether it's hiking, climbing, or skiing, you need to understand the environment you're in. You need to understand yourself. And you need to find your weaknesses and then try to fix them. If you don't know anything about reading maps, that could be a problem in the mountains. You need to back up and learn how to read the maps. So identify your weaknesses and fill them in, because when you get in a tough situation and everything's going wrong at once, you're lost and it's dark and it's raining and you're out of food. That's too many challenges at once. You need to fill in those gaps so you've had those experiences so when things get really crazy, you've got that experience to fall back on. Yeah, and I like what you mentioned about team. You mentioned that word a lot during the conversation because people could think of just going up there by yourself and it takes a lot more, just like in life. Absolutely. I mean, you can do some things by yourself, but if you want to do big things and you want to do big things in dangerous situations, you've got to have a strong team. You've got to have skills that support one another and be totally dedicated to keeping the team safe 
and successful. That's how you'll find your individual success being part of a successful team. Jim Davidson, author of The Next Everest, Surviving the Mountain's Deadliest Day and Finding the Resilience to Climb Again. Pleasure meeting you and talking with you. Thank you so much for uh, taking time and congratulations on getting the book out. Thank you for all that. It was great talking to you. You too. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Jim Davidson, again, author of the new book, The Next Everest, Surviving the Mountain's Deadliest Day and Finding the Resilience to Climb Again. Man, I cannot imagine being in his position. Oof. I think I'm taking a break, literally, for a second here. Back in a moment, uh, we have a special guest coming up also. Her name is Lexi Stefani, and she is from the uh, Pennsylvania Family Institute. We'll change gears here in a few moments. Also, sandwich in between, promised yesterday, a little bit of Eagles insight that the big draft coming up next week I was on a Zoom call with their head coach, Nick Sirianni, and uh, their uh, head of everything, Harry Roseman. <laughs> Got different titles. Can't keep them all straight. Anyhow, have a little bit of audio to play for you just to give you some insight to what the, think, the Eagles are thinking about next week. And uh, if we can, we're going to slip in a little something at the back end of the program, too. Lots to come yet. It's Tim DeMoss Show, AM560, WFIL.com, on the WFIL app. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM560, WFIL, and WFIL.com. It's 432 on the Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for listening in. Getting cloudy this evening, low of 38. Tomorrow's sunny, 64 the high. Supposed to get into the 60s for the rest of the weekend. So these couple of chilly days, it looks like we're going to leave them behind. Phil's 165 yesterday afternoon came from behind. They're off tonight. At Colorado tomorrow night at 840. Sixers lost 116-113 to Phoenix. Close game. Joel Embiid with 38 points in the uh, losing uh, cause. They're at Milwaukee tonight at 7. Flyers are at the Rangers tonight at 7. And the Eagles are getting ready for a big, uh, you know, the NFL draft is, I guess it's a week from tonight. And um, was on a Zoom call yesterday with their head coach, Nick Sirianni, another brass. Uh, Sirianni, their new head coach. Gotta love the guy. I like him a lot. Some people don't like uh, the fact he's just kind of gushing all the time or a lot of the time, but I like him. I like his, he's kind of the Andy, anti-Andy Reid, where, you know, Andy's kind of keep, kept things close to the vest a lot of the time, although Andy has a sense of humor too. Folks close to him know that and have seen, he lets that out every now and again, former head coach, now with the Chiefs, of course. Uh, but Nick Sirianni, anyhow, yesterday talked about uh, the receivers, because that's a position on the team. I want to play just a couple clips for you to give you a little insight into what the Eagles are thinking heading into next week. It's a it's a big deal. They have 11 draft picks, which is the most out of any team in the NFL. So it's a chance to, they always say it's a building your team through the draft is the way you got to go just financially. Everyone's cheap at that point. You get too many stars and they get too much money. You have to let some people go over time. I mean, pick and choose a free agent every now and again to join your team. But the draft is important and picking some players out that, pan out is very important and some uh, folks said well the eagles need receivers uh what's the, what's the difference in terms of starting off here with a being a, a great college receiver and then making that transition to professional football college football and pro football completely different things for that receiver out there when it's out there on the island right those guys that they might not even throw at right a lot of colleges are saying oh that guy's a second round pick i ain't throwing at him i'll go over to the other side right because this guy over here He's not going to get drafted, right? The, the, so there's a huge difference in the things that they have to they have to see week in, week out, and so that and that and that's a learning curve, right? They got to get used to releasing off the ball, right? That's a big thing. Like when these when these corners are up in your face, they got to get used to releasing off the football and winning off the football. What else they got to get used to? They got to get used to catching the ball in traffic and catching the ball with bodies around them. Usually, there's no bodies around them. 
right? They get open so much that they're right here and there's no bodies around them, right? And so now they're catching the ball here, boom, the ball's getting trying to get smacked out of their hands. I, sh- I shook the camera or shook the thing a little bit. I'm sorry, all right, but I'm excited. We're talking about wideouts. So it's just a different game. It's finding the, it's trying to see how you're going to get them the football early on. In my past, we've had some receivers that had some success early on because we, we made it an effort to say, hey, he might not be able to win at this yet, but he can win at this, right? Or we can get him easy touches here. So it's trying to see if he can do those things that you feel like, and I just mentioned a couple of them. I know I'm not going to try to give you all the information on these receivers, but what he can do early on, and then does he have it in his body as a wide receiver to win at the line of scrimmage, right? Does he have that shake? with the ball in his hands, because you might not ever see him with a guy right up in his face. Does he have that strength when the ball's in the air to go pluck it out of the air? So it's trying to, it's doing your best to try to see, again, how you're going to get him the football, and does he have the skill set that is going, it's going to require him to have when playing in the, in the different type of game of the NFL. Eagles uh, new head coach, Nick Sirianni. A lot goes into what's going on, not just, oh, he called a lot of catches, or just grab him. They, they're thinking about not only how, talented person is but how will i use him specifically their uh, executive vice president uh howie roseman commented on this and then uh sirianni added a little bit something on the back end and, and this is what will happen you know a coach will go through a receiver and he'll walk into andy and i and he'll say all right this is how i'm going to use them these are the routes that i'm going to use for this receiver that you're going to see on the field so you have a vision in your eye about how this player is going to fit uh which is awesome and that's right there is just is just how we coach, right? We are trying to explain to Andy and Howie, like, like how, how do we explain to our players how we want to want to play? The videotape. Hey, guys, let's look at the videotape. I got a screen behind me, guys. That's, that's where we would watch, watch tape on. Boom, let's watch the videotape. Here's what we're looking for, Eagle players out there. Here's what, here's what we want it to look like. Well, it's the same thing here in the scouting process. Hey, Here's how we would use this player. Here's the skill set that this player has, and here's how we've used this type of player in the past. And just to expand on that just a little bit more. So that's, again, Eagles head coach, new uh, head coach Nick Sirianni and their executive vice president, Howie Roseman, talking. And just play that for you because it's interesting to think, you know, there's a lot of planning that goes into all this stuff. So it's easy for us to read the headlines and to read some articles and think, they should get that guy. He's a really, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a monster. I've seen some clips on YouTube. Like, all right, that's good. That's what we do as fans. But when you're, it's your job. He's got it down to here are the specific routes this guy's going to run because he has this skill set. We can use him here, 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 and here. They really have to think all that out. The other couple clips I'd like to play for you here kind of goes that now when it's time, next Thursday, we have, I think it's 10 or 15 minutes you know, each round, and, and then they have more rounds over the weekend next week. When you're, the pressure's on and, uh, and it's time to make your decision, heading into that, Sometimes you'll be watching if you're a fan and you'll see they make trades on the evening of, and you're like, wow, like, did you just make that up just now? Did you like, how, how much notice did you have that that was even a possibility? Eagles currently hold the the 12th pick of the draft, which is pretty high up. So uh, their executive vice president, Howie Roseman talked about that. All of that planning and thought and conversations, they're happening right now. You know, we're talking to teams in front of us and figuring out like what that would look like, because when you're on the clock, that's harder to do. You know, you don't want to get into a, a negotiation when you're on the clock, when another team's on the clock. You want to make sure that you understand that what they're looking for and what you're willing to do. So we'll talk to teams in front of us. Um, we'll talk to every team in the league. 
We'll talk to teams in back of us. We'll figure out what they'd be willing to do if there are guys there. Now, it's all contingent on, on a player being there, you know. Um, but we, we try to have all that homework done, and the trades compensation is done before the draft. And it's like, hey, the guy's there. We pick up the phone. We say, you ready to roll? You ready to roll? And it's done. That's Howie Roseman, who then just adds a little something to that. Without getting in spe- into specifics, we, we talk about those things. When we're having the conversations, we're saying, hey, if you want to move up, what are you thinking if you want to move back? And I, and we made a trade already where we, we moved back and had that done. So that's what we're trying to do now in, in the week leading up to the draft is have those conversations. And if someone's saying, hey, it would take this uh, for you to move up or someone's saying, I'd only trade this for you to move back, we can kind of cross those guys off the list a little bit and understand they're probably not serious bidders. You know what's kind of cool here is that the things that – off of a coach goes through throughout a week to get ready for a game. It feels like it's the same thing that a, a general manager and the scouts go through to get ready for the draft, right? And to, to I know you didn't ask me that question, but I'm going to answer it a little bit here too. All right, but it's the same thing, right? It's like all the work. Like if you think you're just going to call a play when the third, the forty second clock starts to tick down, you're crazy, right? You ain't going to do it. You did all the work prior. Monday through Saturday to get ready for Sunday. It's the same thing. It's just a longer process with the draft, which I think is so cool because Howie can kind of put himself in my shoes and I can put myself in Howie's shoes. I think it's awesome. That's, uh, again, Nick Sirianni, new head coach for the Eagles. I enjoy listening to him. Just He's he, he's even there. He's like, you didn't ask me what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so if you like transparency, if you like someone who's actually trying to teach you a bit when they're talking and give you some good info, I think you're going to like Nick Sirianni, the new Eagles head coach. And, He's certainly a passionate guy and he wants to be as prepared as possible. And that's a lesson we can all take uh, and, and learn. You know, try to be prepared for the program when we do this show. And uh, I will give God credit every day because this show comes together because of him. And there are times where I try to prepare, but I'm not as prepared as I want to be. And yet he still provides. Case in point, our next guest in just a moment. Her name's Lexi Stefani, and she is the communications and policy officer with Pennsylvania Family Institute. And kind of in keeping with a little bit of the sports and the, we had the mountain climbing thing earlier this hour, uh, she's going to talk to us about a new bill that's being introduced in Pennsylvania, the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. And she has her, she's been following this very closely. So anyhow, quick break. We'll come back and chat with Lexi. And God provided the connection during the show today. Hoping to have something, something happen and God confirmed it during the program. So <laughs> go God. Quick break. Back in just a moment. You listen to the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL. Thanks for hanging out today. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. It's 445 on the Tim DeMoss Show. We're pleased to bring on board a new friend of our show. Her name is Lexi Stefani. Hi, Lexi. How you doing? Hi, Tim. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on today. Sure thing. If you're anything like the folks we've had on from Pennsylvania Family Institute in the past, we have a good guest on our hands. So. Oh, well, I hope that I can follow in their footsteps. <laughs> so uh, the, the folks we've had, uh, I've, there have been several, Dan Barkowiak, primarily uh let's see randall wenger i think is one and there's one other we just had recently like a week or two ago a couple weeks ago and we like talking with pennsylvania family institute uh and the independence law center because you know a lot about a lot of different things and different cases coming through the area things of interest to folks and there was a press release that came uh our way just not too long ago uh, about house bill 972 that's about as smart as i can sound but you are smarter (laughs) than i am so 
I want to get into that in a second, but share for a second first your communications and policy officer with Pennsylvania Family Institute. Could you share for a moment just, you know, what your role is and, and the different things that, you know, your typical work day, if you will? Yes. So it really depends a lot on what issues we're working on, but my typical look, work day looks like working on communication materials, whether that's emails, social media, blogs, um, and also doing other research and writing opportunities for PFI. Okay. And so as far as House Bill 972 goes, I guess it's officially the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. I understand you, you've been working on that and, and know something about it a bit. Yes. We are so excited about the Fairness in Women's Sports Act and the state reps who have sponsored it. Essentially what the Fairness in Women's Sports Act does is protect a girl's right to a fair and equal playing field by ensuring that she's not forced to compete against biological boys. Okay, and so obviously that's a, a big, you know, topic. Where is it at, and do you have to contextualize it nationwide? Do you need to keep up on what's happening in each of the different states as part of your work for framing what you're doing in Pennsylvania? Yes, um, it's definitely something that's helpful, and it is encouraging to see that it's such a big movement. I believe last I checked, there's over 30 states that have similar legislation So it's really encouraging to see so many states taking a stand to protect this opportunity for our girls and put these protections in place. Um, But at the same time, it is also discouraging today. In fact, there was two governors who just vetoed similar bills, and I believe it was Kansas and North Dakota. Hmm. Um, And so it's also really discouraging to see governors kind of giving in to special interest groups um, or just not taking a stand for fairness in women's sports. Folks, just tuning in, we're chat with Lexi Stefani. She is Communications and Policy Officer with Pennsylvania Family Institute. And I was reading, uh, for example, just to kind of give an example, uh, or maybe you could share a bit about what happened in Connecticut with the, the two male athletes and the 100-meter dash in the state championships. Yes, that case was um, so disheartening and I think really highlights why we need these bills so much. We had two male athletes who just um, dominated the season, and I believe they took about 12 to 15 state championship titles that used to be held by over 10 girls. And it just really highlights, so this is happening in Connecticut, and highlights the fact that there are really significant biological differences between men and women. Um, You know, 50 years ago, that's why we instituted Title IX to create separate sports bracket for women and that's been so incredible. It's given girls so many opportunities, um, so much team building and leadership skills. And, in fact, in my research, one thing I found really interesting I came across is that 96% of female CEOs competed in sports. So it's definitely something that's formative, whether you go far or you just play it um, kind of casually at your school. But when we allow for biological males and when we force Um, for girls to compete against biological males, it's very demoralizing, and we're basically telling girls that you have equal rights and opportunities except in sports. Yeah, man, it's a lot. And, and, uh, Lexi, just one other quick question for you. The bill itself, again, is House Bill 972, the Fairness in Women's Sports Act. And, again, it's, uh, I guess, biological males who would be saying, I identify as a female. So that's really kind of where, the I guess, the rub is in in that whole issue. Even so, physically, if you're biologically male, you're 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 going to be generally probably stronger. That's kind of the point. Is you, it's an it's an mm-hmm. not a, not a level playing field. 
we're kind of where to from here. The bill is introduced. Five representatives in Pennsylvania introduced it from different counties, including uh, Martina White from Philadelphia um, mm-hmm. and other counties. But kind of now, how long, what, what's your experience with having a bill introduced is one thing. How long it takes to actually go somewhere and its end result. How long can that take and what, what do you anticipate the next weeks to be like? Yes, um, it really kind of depends on what priorities the House puts on the bills, what other bills they have running. So it's something that could possibly be examined by a committee who will get experts to testify on it, um, or it's something that could go up to the floor for a debate. But I think um, within the next few weeks and the next few months, this is definitely something that we should be uh, paying attention to and following. In fact, if you go to pafamily.org slash fairplay, uh, we have an action alert for you to be able to contact your representative and tell them that you support this bill and ask for them to also support um, fairness to women's sports. I like that. Like, Can you give that one more time, that, the uh, the web address and that, that uh, yeah. front slash? Yeah. Yes, it is pafamily.org slash fairplay. Fairplay, F-A-I-R-P-L-A-Y. Okay, yeah. that's very good. Lexi, it's nice to make your acquaintance, and thank you for giving us a bit of an update on something that's – there's a lot of stuff swirling around. I know PA uh, Family Institute works on a lot of different things, and this is one case that's certainly in one topic that's that's uh, prevalent in the culture. So we appreciate your insight, and hope we, we can have you on again sometime. Yes, thank you so much for having me and bringing awareness to this important issue. Absolutely. Thank you. That's Lexi Stefani, Communications and Policy Officer with Pennsylvania Family Institute. Quick break. Come back and wrap up our fine broadcast. It's Tim DeMoss Show and WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. It's 455 at Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for listening in. As we uh, wrap up our program, don't forget, um, many things are happening these days. On our site, you can keep up with a bunch of different wonderful endeavors, contests, and things. Uh, one of them is the Faithful Livestream event. It's a week from this Saturday, the 1st of May, 8 p.m. WFL and our partner, Compassion Live, will have this going. You can get info and tickets there. And one of the, uh, the gist of it is Faithful is going to have songs and stories of God's kindness to women throughout history. And today, one of the uh, ladies participating that night, Ginny Owens, joined us on the program and talked about the backstory to Faithful. I'm so excited about this. So Faithful was an idea um, that the seed of it actually started in a meeting in 2015. My manager, David, and I were chatting about just kind of dreams and things that we'd love to see happen in the future. And he was like, you know, we're talking about like the idea of a collaborative event with women, with female artists um, who love Jesus. And so we were talking about this and he said, wouldn't it be great if we should, you know, could make a concert out of something like that? And I was like, yeah, it would be great, but it sounds really impossible. And so he began to talk with, first with Keely, a friend of ours from Compassion International. And she said, oh, that's a great idea. What if we added authors? And so that was kind of where it began. And then our friend Andy over at Integrity got involved and we started just dreaming more about like, what if it was, you know, uh, what, what if there was a, a CD uh, or, you know, music attached to it and, and, you know, maybe other things. And so we began to see it come to fruition. They uh, kind of put their heads together and invited all kinds of different artists, all kinds of different female artists together. And we, we got together for lunch 
and just started dreaming together and started writing. And after several writing sessions, we had more than enough material for our first album. And it was all about the women in the Bible and who they were, what their lives were like, and where their lives kind of intersect ours. That's Ginny Owens. Just a little bit of our conversation we had with her on the 9th of uh, April as she talked about Faithful, the live stream event. Again, Saturday, May 1st, 8 o'clock. Compassion Live, our partner for that. Info and tickets, WFIL.com. Should be a wonderful event. While you're on the site, and with the different contests we have going, Phil Joel of Newsboys' EP and his book, Redwoods and Whales, veteran hip-hop artist KJ52 CD, uh, one year ago, and our little Mother's Day Doe contest, among others, where you can win $1,000. Mother's Day coming up Sunday, May 9th. That's just a handful of the things happening at WFIL.com. Swing on by and have some fun. Thanks for listening in. Looking forward to doing it again tomorrow. Have a great evening. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.